Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr. Hey, man. Hey, man. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, you run a very nepotistic business, don't you? You think so? Well, I don't know. I don't I mean, think so. You're you got you got family there. I got family of mine. I mean, you know, yeah. I don't know. I guess people would think that. Well, I would, and you know, I, I was going to ask you uh, when we started talking about this because I kind of felt this way when I was coming up in the ranks as a young man in the family manufacturing. Co- we uh, we we in the family businesses definitely get accused of that, don't we? Without a doubt, and I really felt as though it was rampant back in the in the 80s when I was in my mid 20s it's probably still rampant and I had a lot to prove that I, was the whole thing I felt the same way too I had a lot to prove and I made sure that I worked extra hard and made sure that everyone saw me with my hands in the coolant tank and I wasn't going to be a priss about getting dirty and you know I went to the hospital a few times because I cut my hand yeah. and Poor you know baby. I almost pulled my thumb off and I know, agree with you though I, it does it does make you look at it differently and say well how do I prove to everybody that I don't have this job yeah. because you know dad started the business or owns the business or or whatever else I worked harder than anybody else or in mom. company Yes, right. I agree. And my son's in business now too, and I hope that he realizes that as well. I don't know. I don't know what is going through his head, but I hope that he realizes that he's going to have to work just as hard to continue the legacy of the family business as well. Yeah, there's a quote, and I think a book with the same title. I haven't read it yet, though. The title or the quote is, family business is business. And basically what that means is, you need to treat a family business like a business and nepotism should never have any play any part in the family business. And it does ring true. I mean, people should not get jobs because of any kind of favoritism should be based on the merit, based on whether they fit the values or credentials and how hard they work and everything like that. Right. And we have somebody on the show today that's going to talk to us about that, don't we? We do. And I look forward to interviewing him and hearing how nepotism or the lack of there or just it. how you fight against it. Yeah, uh, played a, a big role in his in the manufacturing company that he co-owns. But before we get into our guest for the day, do you have anything positive that you want to share with the Metalworking Nation about what's going on at Zanger Black? I do. Okay, good. Tell me what's going on and at Zangers and Black. Well, I, you're you're crazy busy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we do. We talked about just that like before. in another episode. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell me what's but going no, on. At Car with regard toll. to nepotism. And I'm sure that our guest will enlighten me a little bit more on how to recognize the new generation of workers is actually doing stuff. But I saw in my own son last Monday, we had a meeting with our large customer talking about a job that's in the pipeline. And we had them in for a reason to show them that all of the things that we were teeing up for them with regard to this new order, and we were there was a lot of back-end things we were working to get to. And one of them was a new ERP system. And I kind of like con- was controlling the conversation. And I No, it. you controlling, you trying I was to talk over people the and con- controlling. No. Com- no way, Jim. I don't I believe was, it. I thought it was the right thing to do because he knows our ERP system better than anybody. But I handed it over to him and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he's doing 
that well. You didn't have to rip the microphone from your hands. You actually well, handed there wasn't it to a him? microphone. Oh, we okay, were it okay. was we were in a meeting, a business, a corporate <laughs> structured meeting. But no, he did great, and I was super proud of him. And I told him after they left, and we were kind of like still in the afterglow of the meeting that he did a great job, and I was really proud of him. So. I guess they eventually do get it. And he he spoke well. He didn't um and oh. He showed them exactly what they needed to see to show them the, the value of doing business with Car Machine and Tool. That's great. I would say I've seen from Ryan, he's definitely maturing and getting better in his job, which you would ex- you would expect. So I hope so. I assume that you are mentoring him well. So that that's definitely should be one of your focuses is to mentor him. I'm doing the best I can. Good. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, I do have some, you know, to be quite honest with you, I, I have some things related to this subject matter for Zengers and Black. I'm not quite sure if I'm ready yet to talk about it. So maybe in future making chips, I'll, yeah, I'll let the cat out no, of the bag. No worry. Absolutely. Just But there's some stuff going on in the background related to our family business that definitely will be something to discuss in the future. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to having maybe a full episode on that. Great. And, and how that's all played out. Great. So do we have any manufacturing news for today? Well, that is Nick. Golner's responsibility. And Nick, I know you have manufacturing news. It's good. I've already previewed it and I can't wait to comment. Nick on Golner it. with the sweet goatee. Oh, it's more than a goatee. If okay, you can't tell, the there's a little beard, beard going on. Okay, yeah. I'm doing my best to grow like a full face of hair. There's a little bit more than just the news. We've got the whole boring bar to deliver this week, which is what we call our newsletter. So our listeners are probably getting familiar hearing my voice talking about how we write an original article every week derived from the podcast. We bring in chip-in contributors in addition to that, which is kind of like having a guest on the podcast, but we just allow a manufacturing leader to write for our site and, and publish it on our site, and then we share it on social media from there. And then, of course, we, we cover the news. Before Gotta, we get on to that. Yeah, go ahead. You know what I think would be cool? Why don't we share with the Metalworking Nation and our listeners how the boring bar was birthed and what, what was the concept behind that? I love the story. I think it's a great story, and it's so relevant to what how I believe that manufacturers talk. Yeah, it's a little bit of a satirical title. You know, we, we always talk about one of the reasons why making chips is successful is because it's not boring. And a lot of the media in this industry is very, very dry, boring, very boring. And then we also talk about like how in, in our conversations, it's almost like you're sitting at the bar with other manufacturing leaders talking shop, having a beer. So Jason's like, hey, we should call the newsletter the boring bar. Yeah. And I was and, like, yeah. And I visualize the boring bar is that small tavern in a very industrial area, maybe in a strip mall. And, you know, there's maybe 25 seats at the bar and all the manufacturers in that in this particular urban area congregate there at 4:34 p.m. when they get up when they punch the clock and they go in they have their bud light or their IPA shot in a beer shot in a beer and they they go in and they're sitting at that bar together and they're talking about their manufacturing job all those things at the Boring Bar, and the name of the bar is the Boring Bar. And they're so. talking about Inconel and stainless steel, yeah. and you know, I had a couple different ideas. The Boring Bar being one of them, but we almost had my family almost had the opportunity to open up like a bar restaurant. It's a long story. I'm not going to get I into it. I never knew that. It was kind of far fetched, but it there was an opportunity nonetheless. And I've got a couple names. There another name that I thought of for, and not, I'm not like a big drinker by any means, but related to the manufacturing industry is that you can call it the the Spiral Point Tap. Get Ooh. it. Tap. That's good. Yeah. So I got lots of these, Jim. You know, like a tap. Yeah. Like, oh, like oh, oh the, the tap. spiral point tap. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. 
<laughs> or you can call it the that spiral is, flute tap, you know, you whatever you want to call it. You got two experienced bartenders yeah. here. Both Jim yeah, and I have definitely. I'll definitely previous get histories that bar. bartending. Yeah. No so, problem. So maybe when we so the boring bar is gonna be an actual bar that we're gonna yeah. open up in Rockford. And so maybe when we open up the Chicago be careful studio, what you wish for. we're gonna we'll call that one the spiral flute tap or the spiral point tap. Well, cool. we're in the middle of remodeling the new making chips headquarters in Rockford and we're actually gonna put a bar in It's gonna be the boring bar. And you know, Love it. maybe I'm have down. one or two kegs there. And I'm down. It'll be the boring for bar. For sure. Anyway, the news this week, it's from somebody who's familiar to us, and it's definitely related to the topic for the week. It's I, don't, I don't know. Terry Iverson? Oh, yeah. I know never, that guy. You guys have never met talked him. about He's him. a great guy. Yeah. So the article comes from the Chicago Tribune. The boss is retiring. The kids don't want to take over. Family-owned manufacturers confront a succession crisis. That's kind of Man. bold to publish that before you actually have the succession plans. Yeah, it, that, that, that's pretty big that he told that to the media. Right, exactly. Uh, could be but, good, could be bad in yeah, the long run. But you know, quite frankly, I hear this all the time in our industry about how the the second and third generation just isn't interested in manufacturing and they don't want to continue the legacy. And man, that that's a tough that's a tough one. That's a tough one to think about. I mean, I guess I'm lucky that I I do have family in the business and they want to continue that legacy, but then on the other hand, I think about, well, if Ryan wasn't in the business, maybe I could have done something else that, you know, I was really, really super excited and passionate about, like being a full-time employee of making chips. So, you know, because I'm still kind of like rooted in with car machine and tool, but go ahead and tell me a little or bit about the article. Or you could be a article. sommelier. I'd love to be a sommelier. That'd be awesome. So yeah, just a little bit from the article. Terry Iverson, president and CEO of Iverson & Co., is a third-generation owner of the machine tools sales and service company his grandfather founded 88 years ago. Iverson wants to keep the company in his family, but his children aren't interested in running it. So you know, he goes on to say he expects he will have to merge or sell, but he's not sure to whom, and will the buyer take good care of his customers and his family's legacy? It's something I think about every day. I bet. It's something I think about nearly every day, too. And he has a, he's got a challenge in front of him. He doesn't know where he's going to put his baby, his, his grandfather's business in somebody's hands to take over. And maybe it'll be successful or maybe it won't. We've all seen many manufacturing companies that have been acquired over the years. And the success rate of those acquisitions aren't very high, right? Yeah. Actually, that's one of the, the articles that I'm writing this week. Yeah. It's about that third generation and how often the family business fails in the third generation. And right. It's, it's, it's something very low up. statistics. Oh, yeah. We should probably remember the stats from my article, but they're, they're not top of mind right now. But it's very low. And it's something we've been hearing for our whole lives. But Caleb and, and my generation has been hearing, hey, look, these things tend to fall apart in the third generation. So don't screw it up. So what does Terry say? So what is the overarching theme of this article in the Chicago Tribune about Terry and his business? Just the uncertainty that he has to face because his kids aren't interested in the business and, and how he's going to, to move that forward because there is a legacy there. Whether your kids take over or not, there's still a legacy that he wants to protect. And like you said, Jim, we're blessed to not have, have this problem. No. Ryan's very active in the business. Someday he intends to take it over. My brothers and my cousins and I are are very active in our business and we intend to take it over. Jason, I think your kids are a little young to make a commitment like that, but maybe. Yeah, I already asked my daughter who's 
12 and she said she's not interested she wants to be a synchronized ice skater so yeah that's, what about the little kids what do they want to be uh they, i might be able to convince them now but right now they just want to be one wants to be a ninja fireman you know stuff like that <laughs> mostly ninjas all the you know, three little ninjas that's what they are just to kind of wrap it up you you can get all of the content from this week at makingchips.com when you subscribe we'll send you the boring bar directly to your inbox and you'll get the latest every week. Sounds great. There's a couple like scanning through it. Ermco is mentioned in here. Ace Metalcrafts bought them. They're both customers. Colin Consgrove. Colin Consgrove. Yeah, 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 they're mentioned in here. Yeah, it's a pretty extensive article. So Jim, would you like to introduce our guest for today? Well, first, before I do that, I'd like to share with the Metalworking Nation because I like definitions. I like to read definitions on what they mean because this is the theme of our show for today. So I just like to take 30 seconds and read what the definition of nepotism is. And it's the practice. Sometimes you take 30 seconds just to talk about taking 30 seconds. To, <laughs> yes, you're right. To read I do. the definition of well, something. <laughs> I just, I just want to make sure I get it, hit it home. The practice. Sometimes 45 seconds to talk about 30 seconds to read something. Well, that's because you always interrupt me. But anyway, the definition of nepotism is the practice among those with power or influence of favoring relatives or friends, especially by giving them jobs. It's a perfect you, definition. You know what popped into my head right away? What's that? The government. Oh, definitely. That's rampant. The there. government is definitely full of a lot of nepotism. Off, it, it, It's all over the place. Yeah, you're, you get you're elected get so you can give all your friends and relatives jobs. But anyway. So, Jim, do you want to introduce our guest? I, I just would want to love talk to. About I, introducing I, I, him? He's, he's a good friend of Making Chips. He's a good friend of ours. And he is the father of Nick Olner, who is <laughs> good uh, friend. in the room. Good friend. <laughs> I thought Nick anyway, was cracked from an egg. No, apparently not. <laughs> I, look, I look forward to hearing Dietmar's story. And I'd like to share with the Metalworking Nation Dietmar's bio. And Dietmar immigrated from Germany. Germany in 1958 at two years of age. His father founded Advanced Machine and Engineering in 1966. Dietmar serves as the president, CEO, and co-owner of Advanced Machine and Engineering Company and Hennig Inc. AME specializes in machine tool design, work holding systems, and metal cutting solutions. Hennig, on the other hand, is a global manufacturer of machine protection systems, conveyors, filtration systems, and enclosures, and facility safety equipment. And he knows a thing or two about making chips. So with that, I'd like to welcome Dietmar Golner to the Making Chips studio. Welcome, Dietmar. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, it's so, great to have so you So Dietmar, here. for the metalworking nation out there, if they own a machine tool which we hope that most people listening own a machine tool, there's a really high probability they have a, they have a Hennig enclosure around it, don't they? That would be our hope. So, <laughs> so anyway, I want to I kick this off because I've got so many questions to hear. The first one is, so is it wrong? I mean, is it wrong to give your family jobs in a family business? The answer would be maybe. Maybe. Okay, so let's elaborate on that. Tell us about your experience so far with bringing family, because your second generation, Nick, Noah, and Alex are third generation. Caleb. And Caleb is third generation. So, so you've got cousins and brothers, and that gets you complicated. you got a lot of family. Exactly. So tell us how that experience has been at a 15,000-foot level. Yeah, so it started out, I would say, perhaps 10, 15 years ago, and 
I was kind of drafted into the business by my father. I went to the university. I studied engineering. So my life was somewhat laid out for me, and it worked out to be the right thing for me. But when my kids started growing up, they were working as waiters, and they realized it's hard to make any money just being a waiter. And I never pushed them into coming into the business but the opportunity availability was there. So one by one, they said, hey, dad, I'd like to give it a go. And so I started with the oldest, Noah, and he came into the business. And then it followed with Nick and Alex, and now my nephew, Caleb. And soon, in about a year, we'll have Caleb's brother, Corey, also joining the business. Fantastic. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've actually established some parameters from like a board of directors level as it relates to what you need to do as family members in order to advance in the company? Or how, how, do, how exactly does that work? Well, first of all, coming to the family business and having a high position is not a birthright. There's not going to be a coronation. Uh, you have to earn it through merit, through performance, through living our company values and, and core values. Love that. And so that is the premise. And they should know that before they start way maybe even like when they're in high school and working there during the summer yeah one of the things that we always were told was like being in the family might get you a job but it won't keep you a job yeah that's a great way of putting it i've quoted that a number of times so how exactly does it work from a board of directors level because i i would assume that you know you've got family that's eventually going to become owners whether they own shares and are not active or they own shares and are active is that how, how does that work yeah, we did a lot of legal work with the state planning, buy-sell agreements, generation skipping, pretty much the tools that will help you to reduce your potential tax liabilities, but also communicate to the next generation there's opportunity. And so you have uh, you can be a shareholder. You can also then be a shareholder with voting rights. And to get voting rights, there's a certain progression that they need to go through. And one of the things we did to familiarize themselves with the philosophy of our company is they are now all coming to our board meetings. They may not have a vote, but they're coming into the meetings. And the Just whole- to get acclimated to how, exactly. that, how that's playing through. Okay, exactly. that's a great idea. Now, now, there's another notion that I never even thought of it in this way that, that you, you brought to our attention called reverse nepotism. And how would you characterize that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So everyone's concerned that you're putting somebody in a position that they really haven't earned. They may not live the core values. But what do you have in a situation where there is a family member who's doing a tremendous job? And sometimes people are so paranoid that they would be elevating their family member, their son or their daughter into the business that they actually hold back, fearful of what the rank and file, the rest of the workers in the company might think. And so now you're taking a person that's very qualified and you're not advancing them the way you should. And then the disillusionment sits in and you actually Maybe they want to leave. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. They may want to leave the business themselves. Yeah, and Jim and I talked about that a little bit in the beginning of this episode where that whole notion of nepotism really propelled us to work that much harder. But if you do have that reverse nepotism, that could cause them to be like, well, I'm going to move out and I'm going to compete with my, with my family's business. And that is not unheard of either. Right. That has happened, unfortunately. So Dietmar, you're talking about all the succession of family members that are in line to take over your role for the future. And so far, so good. You've got a one, two, three, four, five people in succession already. 
Have there been any failures so far with family members that have started into the business and found it wasn't a good fit? Because let's face it, manufacturing is not for everybody. Yeah, you've if, got three kids and only one's in the business. Exactly. But has there been anything would you like to share that with? I, I'd like to know because I don't know that about you or AME or Hennig. Well, I'd have to say we've been so incredibly blessed because all three of my sons got into the business and we were smart enough to make sure we don't put a square peg into a round hole. So what we did was we looked to see what was the person's passions, their gift sets, their competence, their education, how are they wired, and we put them in the in the right position. A great example would be my youngest son, Alex. He always had more money than his two older brothers, Noah and Nick, combined. So we thought perhaps he should get into accounting and finance. And so he found his niche there. Good, good. Whereas Nick, he just thinks marketing. He lives, breathes, sleeps Content marketing. marketing. Exactly. We know. We hear it all the time. Right. He's educated me on well, that. Well, I, I thought like, okay how am I going to fit into this family? Right. You know, I'm really bad at math. I'm, it takes me a long time to fix things in my house. I'm not the most mechanical guy, but for me, like I grew up as an artist and I was thinking, is there a place for me in a manufacturing business? Yeah. You were like the black sheep of the family, <laughs> yeah. but you Pretty found, much, but you yeah. found your way right. and so how to help. You set them up for their own personal the successes <laughs> within the company. That's exactly right. Right. And sometimes you may have to move the, the people around just a little bit, but the key is to match up their passions with their aptitude for the discipline of the business that they're involved in. I think that's a great example. I think it's 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 perfect way to do it. But you're lucky that your company is so big that you have all those layers. What would you advise a company like my size where we're wear so many hats. Like one day I'm doing quoting, one day I'm doing sales and marketing, one day I'm doing, I could be setting up a machine. I don't do it anymore, but it wasn't too long ago that I was out on the shop floor making chips. Yeah. There's a lot of there's the metalworking little- nation out there that they don't have a couple hundred people in their manufacturing company and they don't have the luxury of having a family member that can do be the CFO and other that could be the CMO and, and so on. Yeah, that that's true. And a key as you move along in your business and let's say your business is growing, if your business is really growing, then that creates a lot of opportunities. It does. Because there's more positions that you could fill. So the key for for the present CEOs and family uh, owners of the businesses would be less micromanaging, more mentoring, more coaching. I got it. So I have another kind of related question to that. What if you have a family member who, you know, they work hard, they, they come in on time, they're dependable, all that kind of great stuff, but they're like, you know, I just, I just want a good job and I want to work for the family business. I'm, I don't have aspirations to run the company from an accounting standpoint, run the company from a marketing standpoint or engineering standpoint. I just want a good job. Is that, is that acceptable? Well, I believe it is acceptable because you never want to force a person or coerce a person into taking a position that that person is not wired to or, or even has an interest in. Because then the rest of the people within your organization, they'll see it and they'll start to question, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? So again, don't put a square peg into a round hole. Do you think that there should be some constraints from, say, like a voting stock or any other place in the ownership of the company if that person doesn't aspire to maybe a higher level management or leadership role? Okay, Now, that is a very good question and an issue that we actually dealt with. Okay. The way you get voting stock or voting uh, shares 
to where you have more of a say into the operations of the business, you need to be a manager. Oh, so you need to be in a managerial role to actually attain voting privileges. That is correct. Okay. Yep. Because that shows that you have the, I guess, the knowledge or character in order to make those kinds of decisions. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's a lot of people dependent on the decision-making process, and there's many stakeholders involved, and you really want to get it right. Dietmar, before you mentioned core values, and we all know how important core values are to running a, a successful business. And We've talked about that a couple times. Yeah, a couple we? times. And I, believe me, I, I bought into it three times over. But tell me about the process of defining core values in your company with how it relates to nepotism and family members coming in. Because it's a big that's a big thing. It, it sure is. And we have seven core values. And the core value that I'm reminded of as it relates to the next generation business is, is the core value of servant leadership. And uh, servant leadership is someone who leads by example the trait of humility would be prevalent in his life. It would be someone that doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. It'd be someone where he doesn't make it about himself, but he thinks of the greater good. He thinks of the entire organization. That's, that's awesome. I love that. That's one of your seven yeah. core values. Yes. That, that seems to be a characteristic that would lend somebody towards getting along with their fellow family members when it comes to making tough decisions. Even when you're in a family business, you can't make it about yourself. I mean, that's exactly right. And there's a Latin term, uh, primus inter pares, which essentially says first among equals. And the key thing with the leader of the company, in my case, for instance, there are very few jobs in our entire organization from a global standpoint that I can do that job as well as the person that's doing it. So I, for one, I'm just dependent on hundreds and hundreds of people that work at our companies for them to be able to do a competent job. And so you got to let go and let them do what, what they're gifted in. You mentioned servant leadership, Dietmar, and it can be really hard to do when you have a strong personality or many people reporting to you to remember to serve. And, and you also mentioned humility arrogance and ignorance. Tell me a little bit about that and what that means to you. Yeah. From the negative side of servant leadership, if you have the two attributes of arrogance and ignorance, you have absolutely the worst combination you can have in business. At that point in time, you have no respect or trust among your fellow man, and it is an absolute recipe for disaster because we need to be open-minded. I tend to have a strong personality, so I need to be intentional with how I communicate, and most important, this is the thing I'm really working on, is enhancing my listening skills. Mm -hmm. As we listen, we then tell the person that's talking to us that, hey, we value what you have to say. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree 100%. The one thing that I, I, I could already see myself struggling with in the future if I did have my kids in the business is, you know, you want to to a certain degree, control the outcomes of your kids because you want them to be successful. You want them to do good. And I, I know now after, you know, like raising several kids that you got to let them make some mistakes too right. along the way. And you can't control that because that not only teaches them a lesson, but it also probably more importantly builds character in them and allows them to to really advance, advance their learning. Is that that much more difficult when you're dealing with family members? Could even be like your nephew, not necessarily your son, but it could be your son. How do you, how do you manage that whole notion of really trying to control, I guess, and micromanage your kids? 
Well, the tendency is that you want to control. Uh, right, of course. I tend to be a high control person. And you just have to recognize that. Yeah, I always call myself a recovered micromanager. <laughs> That's true. Uh, put me in that camp as well. Yeah, you just got to let go. And I don't know if there's a 12-step program and how you do that, but start by talking to Coaching your Coaching versus micromanaging. Correct. Okay. Correct. Uh, talk to your kids. Find out what they have to say. What I have done with my kids, if they catch me during the day, and Nick will know this, you're not really going to get my attention because I still have too many plates in the air and I'm just juggling. So if you, if we want to communicate, let's get together for lunch. Give me a call after five o'clock and let's, let's talk it over. Let's get together uh, on a weekend. Let's go on a hike and let's talk it through. That way Great I'm, I'm most able to, to give the attention to my kids and, and to my nephews and other people in the company that they deserve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like if I try to get a hold of you at work, you're, Super busy, but today we had this drive into the studio, and it's hard to get an hour and a half with you, you know. So it was perfect, it was time well spent. Yeah, and, totally and we even that. had the nav working and we didn't get lost. <laughs> <laughs> when I think of me moving into the role of president owner of Car Machine and Tool, I and all of the business succession that I went through with my dad, who I know we're going to talk about in the future, is I used to schedule my dad. And we used to go out and my dad used to have, we used to have a couple martinis. And what that used to do is it used to bring the conversation down. We'd be a little bit more relaxed. And that was the time that I could talk to my dad openly, honestly, and not have any inhibitions about saying something that I thought was inappropriate about me taking over. That's how we got through our whole, quite frankly, our whole business succession. The Irish way. The Irish way, exactly. Well, Over. I, th I think that's really wise because when I get stressed, mm -hmm. what typically, this is a progression of what tends to happen. If I get stressed, I don't have the same level of tolerance or patience, and I just want to move on to the next thing and get her done. So now you start to act impulsively. Right. And then if you act impulsively, you start making bad business decisions. Right. So it's important to, to recognize that and take the time. It related to what you just said, Jim. I, I was on a factory tour of Lennox. It used to be called American Saw. They make the bandsaw blades. Yep, yep. And out in East Longmeadow, Massachusetts. This was like 15 years ago when the original family that started it owned the company still. And now it's owned by Stanley Black & Decker. But they, I think they almost had it in their bylaws that they there was like this local like German pub near the factory. And they were a German family as well. And they never made any big decisions unless they had uh, two pints of beer before at lunchtime. <laughs> so back in the day, that that's was an, that was more Irish common, probably more common than not. Yeah. So I mean, and, and speaking of whole micromanaging, so we talked about this a little bit, but Jim and I entered into a partnership with the Golner family. We're now all we did? A third. We did. Oh, Jim, <laughs> I, I was having you sign some paperwork. Welcome you to make realize what you, were, what you were signing. <laughs> I don't like to read you now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So we're all one third partners on this, and you know, I would assume that to the family, I mean, Nick's kind of like on the line in order to make this oh, successful he's representing your company. But like, I have seen that you're not like micromanaging Nick through that process or anything like that, which I think is a good thing. I mean, I'm sure you're you're coaching him, but you're not telling him what decisions to make or anything like that. Okay. So so give an example of micromanaging, like maybe when you were doing scheduling versus yeah, coaching. Question, and like, how does that change? All right. So I'm in the process of going from micromanaging to coaching. So 
a prime example of that would be I'd always go through the shop. I'm an industrial engineer by profession. That was my education. So I'm constantly looking at, are we improving our processes? And so I'll get into the shop and the first thing I'll do is, now why is that job being run on that machine? It could go on this other machine and then we'll be more profitable and we'll ship on time to our customer. And that was probably the way that your dad, Willie, taught you how to improve things, right? I think it just makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. It just makes sense. Right, exactly. And so I would then kind of go up to the operator and go, no, why are we doing it this way? Or, hey, after this job, are you going to put this job into the machine? Mm -hmm. Well, what I've now done is, as I've created an incredible amount of confusion, because someone else has already done the master schedule. So now the joke at both our companies is, I don't schedule. I might say, hey, have you thought about this? Or I might offer some advice. But then I write away say, but listen, I'm not scheduling you. Okay, so that has to evolve from there as well. <laughs> I think you call it auditing now instead yes, of fixing. Now, I, now I, I do more auditing. And the key is, whoever that person is responsible for that particular task, that's the person I need to go to. Mm-hmm. and discuss it with them. Yeah, because the schedule means nothing when the owner questions something. Exactly. And, and that becomes the new schedule. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen that. And that, that in a family business, that can become a bit of an issue because you cause a lot of stress with, with your team. Exactly. And, and it's caused by the owner, by the CEO of the company. Mm-hmm. And, and not even intentionally sometimes. Right. And you have to understand the weight. When I say something, I don't think it's a big deal, but I've learned over the years that when I make a comment or, or make a suggestion that carries an incredible amount of weight. So I have to appreciate that and be very sensitive to the fact that people are in position to do that job because they're competent to do it. And I just need to let go. So Dietmar, my now five-year-old and now my 12-year-old, like I have this conversation with them often like as it, as it relates to parenting. My job is to make you a healthy, mature adult. Like uh, my job is not to be your best buddy or anything like that. Like I want you to be an adult. How does the parenting that you that you did for your kids relate to maybe how you manage them now? Is there a correlation between the two of those things? Well, someone has said, "Are your kids and you are you best friends?" And friendship is really, really important. But perhaps what is just as important, if not more important, is the respect level that you have for one another. If you try to run a business based on likability and you put that above respectability, I think you're making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Likability comes after you've earned the respect yeah. of, of your kids, of your peers, of, of other family members. That is hard for a father-son relationship on the job. And I violated that before myself. And you know, I guess I can publicly apologize to my dad for on many, many occasions <laughs> violating that whole respect thing. And it comes down to like when you're that familiar with somebody and they're say arguing or they're making a decision on scheduling that is maybe you don't think it's correct. It's easy to lose that respect and you should never lose that respect with, you would never do it with a boss who wasn't your father or mother or other family member. You shouldn't do it with, with your family members well, I'm, either. I'm glad you brought that up because I think when I first started to build my relationship with Jason and Jim, the two of you guys, it was like, right in the midst of this time where we didn't necessarily like each other, my dad and I. Right. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know, you, you could love just, your kids and not like them. <laughs> yeah, we loved each other. We didn't like each other. And, and I think, you know, that's going to happen. You know, there's going to be plenty of times where you don't like each other, but I wasn't very respectful. Maybe I was right about some things. I certainly was wrong about a lot of things. But the point is, like, the respect thing is, is what kind of fell off. So 
push came to shove and there was about eight months where I didn't work at the company. So, <laughs> you know, you could draw so your own that was a learning process, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I have a question. I'd like to dig a little deeper if you don't mind sure. into this I want family. to dig deeper into Nick leaving the company for eight months. Is that what you're talking well, about? We know, we, know, <laughs> we know the behind the scenes story. Maybe we'll leave that a secret for now. Yes. That could be a future episode. Yeah. So explain to me, Dietmar, how the board of directors works and these voting rights, and you have to be a manager to have voting rights. So eventually, you're going to retire, and you're going to move out of the business, and your shares of the business are eventually not, they're going to be transitioned down. I don't, I don't know if you're, if you're ready to talk about that now. Can you just, and you don't have to go into the, the finute, the granulars on how it works, but how does that work? I mean, I know how it worked at Car Machine and Tool, but how, how does that process work at AME Hennig? Well, the first thing you need to do is get a very good attorney who yes. understands estate planning and, and business succession. Right. Because the, the tax laws are constantly changing uh, you have to be up to speed, and and you really need that expertise on your team. Perhaps that person should be part of your advisory board. They'll help you to do that. In our particular case, I'm roughly a little more than a third shareholder, and it's already stipulated that as I pull back, whether there be a gifting of shares or the shares are sold at a deep discount, that my three sons each will pick up a third a third and a third of the shares that I have. Now, okay. my, my sister, she has uh, three children, Caleb and, and Corey, who's going to be joining us. Same type of scenario. So get it right. Right, I agree. And it's good to talk about it in advance because we get so caught up in our crazy, busy work schedules that if we don't define this well in advance, there's going to be people's feelings are going to get hurt. People are going to have false expectations of what their futures are going to be like. And I just think it's good to to get that out in the open well in advance. So you define this with your sister and your family members right. before the kids started coming into the business. You figured a way to bring them in and become actual shareholders of the company before they even came into the company. Yeah, it is better. And I have a couple of comments. It's yeah. better to do that ahead of time because you don't. What's ahead of time? Is ahead it of time, like 10 it, years, 20 10, years? 10, 20 years okay. ahead. That's not too soon. It's better to solve those issues now than when you're under duress. Oh, Where I there's agree. been a death in the family oh. or somebody's left the business. And, and one thing I want to add yeah. in a family business, you can't hold. You need to hold things a little loosely. What do you mean by that? By that, you're going to have arguments. You're going to have areas where you're just not communicating. And that will happen. It'll happen to, to any family Man, like business. People that are going to think that there's unfairness going on. You're going to get that. Okay. You're going to get interpersonal problems between family members. And Absolutely. the key is you got to hold it loosely and then operate under grace. And you, if you hold things too tight and you can't let go... And, and you can't ask for forgiveness or, or you're not willing to let things go, those are things that take place that can cause a business to completely fail. Right. So you have to have the right attitude. And that's where humility, especially in servant leadership, is so important. If you make a mistake, own it. Don't shift it on another family member. Take responsibility. And then you got to move on. So if this has been well-defined, well in advance, everybody in the pipeline knows exactly the options that are going to be available to them in the coming decades. 
Yeah, that, okay. I would say that's that that's pretty much true, but allow a little bit of flexibility. For example, there could be one family member who is moving this particular direction, but he's relatively young. He just got out of the, out of the university maybe a couple of years ago, and let's say he works in this area of the company, but then all of a sudden the the rest of the family members and the management of the company sees that my gosh, this guy, this guy has a passion to do this. He has a skill set. When we see him interact with the rest of the organization, he seems to connect. Well then be smart enough to say, okay, well, let's shift him over here because we think that he's gonna get a higher quality of work life out of that and it's gonna really benefit the organization. So, okay. Jim, I have a related question for you. Do you, yeah, go ahead. So, you've got two kids. you got one in the business, two not in the business. Right. Do those two have an understanding of what's going to happen with the family business or any kind of false expectations? They don't know. They don't, you funny. haven't talked about them. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe we're going to talk good about time. this at a future podcast. But no, I mean, I think they have false they probably interpretations. They probably don't know at all. They yeah. don't, I don't know. Okay. I, I, have, I, I will admit to the Metalworking Nation that I do not have a bona fide succession plan set up for my family business right now. And you now. haven't talked to them, e- either of them yet, and they're all, all three of your kids are almost 30 or 30-ish? 29, 27, 26. Okay. So, yeah. They might I mean, think that they're all, the two might think that they're going to be third owners. Well, it has to be fair and equal. I agree, right? but what's fair? I, mean, I, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. That's the problem. I, I have to, that has to be defined <laughs> yeah. in the future. Now, yeah. here, here's it's, what, a t- it's a tough it's situation. It's a tough situation. Yeah. yeah here's, what, here's what I have done. First of all, I asked my nephews and especially my three sons, what do you want to do? You want to keep the business at, a, at, at the status quo, maybe turn it into some type of lifestyle business, you're throwing off a lot of cash, or do you want to grow and build the business? And one by one, they all said, we want to grow the business. So we have some pretty ambitious goals in terms of revenue and free cash flow that we want to throw off in the coming years. So first of all, I had 100% buy-in on that. And that was really helpful. The other thing we wanted to do is, hey, we don't want to have a bunch of miscommunication within the family members. We want to make sure that everybody knows that everyone else has their back. And so I'm focusing more and more on coaching and mentoring. And every two months, we're going to get together, that third generation. We're just going to talk. We might have some case studies that we'll go over in an effort to help build that strong family dynamic within our business organization. And the irony is that we're actually supposed to be doing that right now, but we're exactly. here recording a podcast about doing that. So we'll have to reschedule that one. Somehow we didn't get the calendar invite. <laughs> so this is a completely hypothetical question, and we'll leave this as the last question for you, Dietmar. And the reason that this came to mind is because I just had a conversation with somebody about one of my competitors who has children in the business, and those children happen to, I would say, I don't know, just to be nice about this, maybe not competent to run the company. But well, they, not but everything's perfect. Right? Not everything's I mean, perfect. But, oh my God, but, but, no. but, but I think that they also at the same time maybe have an entitlement to run the company. What would you recommend for somebody that was in that kind of a situation? I would say that if that family member doesn't get it, doesn't want it, doesn't have the capacity to do it, don't force him into that position. That is the worst sometimes thing you can Sometimes parents do. have blinders. To they, their to their kids' competencies, they do, and sometimes it's cultural. In Europe and in Asia, for instance, it's expected that the next generation, the oldest son, for instance, will take over the business. And really? I think that's, yeah. I think Whether they're an competent absolute, or not, that's yeah, a and mistake. I think it's an absolute travesty. Yeah, that's a mistake. So, what do you do in that situation? Sell the company? 
Well, if you don't have somebody else- You better else, start communicating. Yeah, if you don't have somebody else to take over, then you look within the ranks and you say, well, who really is competent? And you can have that person- Somebody take internal. Over the there could business. be a non-family member. Sure. A manager, and director. That's, and that's tough in yeah. itself too, because sometimes those, those family members think that they should be doing it. You just have to be honest and transparent with yep, one another. I agree. Have the conversation. It's not comfortable, no. but let me tell you, at the end of the day, it's going to feel better. You know when it's, it's less comfortable? When you don't talk about it. When The longer you wait. Yeah, yeah exactly. I agree. I agree. Well, and it's also like, like you talked about stress, right? We had this episode on stress. You don't have to say, okay, I'm going to take this from a $100 million company to a $250 million company. Like, you, That's a lot of stress. That's a big commitment and a big cross to bear. So you're not like less of a person if you're like you said, Jason, I just want a job. Mm-hmm. You know, a lifestyle job. That's fine. Uh, thank you, Dietmar. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been it. great. I, yeah. I, you know, we're going to be talking a little bit more about business succession planning in a future show. And I'd love to hear your feedback on how we engage each other and the audience for that. But this is a very emotional discussion about business succession and family and nepotism and, and all those things. And it's been something I've been living with for a lot of my life. And I think the best thing that I did was just saying to myself, I proved myself to all the people within the company and to myself that I can efficiently, effectively, and successfully run the company on my own. Yeah, it's a difficult process, but I can tell you from experience, it's well worth it to put your time and energy and effort into making sure that the next generation is able to run the business and then you just let it go and you leave a legacy and you can take joy in the success that the family members are having taking the business to the next level. Yeah, and I would say for the Metalworking Nation, if you haven't started having this discussion, probably the easiest thing to do at this point would be to share this episode with your family members and just say, hey, listen to this. We need to have a discussion about this. And if you learned something from this episode, please go to iTunes, rate and review. It helps us to get the word out. Share it with other people in the Metalworking Nation because if your family members aren't making chips, they're not making money. Bam. Bam. Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow, customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips. 